The Empire Club has had the honor of hosting many of Canada's most prominent women. In 1930, we hosted Corrine Wilson, who was Canada's first woman senator. In 1957, we hosted the Honorable Ellen Fairclough, who was Canada's first woman cabinet minister. In 1964, we hosted the Right Honorable Kim Campbell, Canada's first woman prime minister. And in 2001, we had the honor of hearing from the Right Honorable Beverly McLaughlin, first woman Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. We have indeed come a long way in Canadian society, but I'm sure that the Minister will tell us that we still have some ways to go. Last week, the Ontario Securities Commission proposed a new rule that would require companies to report annually on their policies to add more women to our boardrooms and to our executive ranks. This type of public policy change is a result of decades of perseverance and education of all Canadians, men and women. Many politicians have made speeches at this podium, as I mentioned. Very few of them in our 110-year history have had the chance to wear two different hats. Our guest speaker has, only six years ago, addressed the club. Then she was just a rising star a world leader in pediatric surgery, a recent member of Canada's top 40 under 40. In 2010, Dr. Leach was honoured with the Order of Ontario for her work advocating for children and youth. Today, the Honourable Dr. Kelly Leach is a member of Parliament, Minister of Labour and Minister responsible for the status of women. Dr. Leach holds a doctorate in medicine from the University of Toronto an MBA from Dalhousie University, and completed the orthopedic surgery residency program at the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles at the University of Southern California. Throughout her career in the medical profession and as a volunteer and now in public life, Dr. Leach has made it a priority to address the unique challenges of women and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure in welcoming the Honourable Kelly Leach to the Empire Public Health. So how many of you have a daughter, granddaughter, or a niece? Pretty much everyone in the room, save a handful. I know the table. I, uh, I was having a conversation with probably my best friend a couple of days ago. Now, he, uh, he's someone who uh, I have a lot of respect for. And I said to him, I was going to make this speech. And he's very well read. He has read the OSC report and other things. And I said to him, well, what do you think? And he said, it's all about leadership. That's the issue. It's about leadership. His name is Kit, Kit Leach. He's my father, and he has two daughters, myself and my sister, who's an engineer. She also has an MBA, and he says it's all about leadership. And I would say exactly the same. We need to create a supportive environment for women to be successful in Canada, and we've done a great job of that in academia, 
We're doing a great job of it in my profession, in medicine. We've seen the numbers move. But I'm here to challenge you to make sure that we're also doing that in other areas of Canadian society. Because this is something we can't continue to ignore. This is something that we have to address. Now, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, and that didn't happen by accident. It happened because a guy by the name of Dr. Alan Gross and another man by the name of Dr. John Wedge, both of which were men in their 50s, late 50s, actually, depending upon how he looks on, during the day. Some people would say that Alan's in his late 60s, decided in 1990 that having women surgeons was important to the country. And they went about focusing on recruiting women to become surgeons. And I was part of that pipeline. Alan Gross, starting in my second year of medical school, provided me opportunities to do research. And most importantly, he gave me a seat at the table. More appropriately, a place to stand at the table, in the operating room, holding the knife, being responsible for the patient. And that's what we need to do in other professions. Create the pipeline and give people responsibility. So we've seen in medicine substantive change. In 1990, when I was a, a medical student, less than 3% of the orthopedic surgeons in this country were women. If you look now, 33% of the people who are in that population of new orthopedic surgeons in the country, of which there's over 1,400, 33% of them are women. A huge change in two decades. It took time, but it was a focused effort. We have uh, an opportunity, because of leadership, to move the dial here. And I'm encouraging all of you to participate, and your colleagues at work. Now, we know here in Canada, we have a really substantive untapped resource. We talk a lot about those individuals that may not be involved or represented in certain organizations. So by way of example, if you look at mining, we know that we're going to have a skills shortage, a shortage of individuals to work in the mining field in 2021 of over 120,000 people. It's a huge gap. But only 15% of the people working in mining right now are women. And we know that women are well-educated. There's just as many women as men in many of our classrooms. I did pretty well in math. So do many of my colleagues. But it's an untapped resource. And we've seen the change in medicine, as I mentioned before. In fact, between 2008, or 2004, 2008, we saw an increase of 24% of graduates from medical school of women. In fact, 53% of people that graduate from medical school now are women. 37% of practicing lawyers in our country are women. They're playing leadership roles, as was mentioned earlier, in the government of Ontario, like one of our head table guests. So we're seeing this change in certain professions, and we need to do more. And a number of CEOs in the country are focused on making sure that we're doing this in their trades. I was talking to uh, the owner of a large construction company in Western Canada. Uh, Brosco Construction. And Rusty said to me, he said, I'm taking a unique approach to how we're build, helping build the Calgary Airport because I didn't have enough people. So instead of having 
a regular nine to five workday. Well, in the construction world, my father runs a construction company at 6.30 in the morning to eight o'clock at night sometimes. He decided to be quite flexible. So he went out and recruited a whole bunch of moms, women, to drive his heavy equipment trucks. They come to work at 9.30 after they take their kids to school. They leave at 3.30 so they can be standing on the schoolyard to pick their children up. He's gone from having no one to help him run his heavy equipment to actually having a working population. They may be only there six hours, but at least they're there. And most importantly, these women have a great quality of life. They're able to buy hockey equipment for their kids. And as he says, young men behave better on the work site when there's a mom there. So here's a, a, a CEO who's doing what he needs to do to make his business work. We need to do the same when it comes to women on boards. We know that the number, it's been published, this is not new news to this room, is about 14.5% of the board positions are held by women. And I would say that if a group of orthopedic surgeons and a group of construction guys can figure this out, I'm pretty confident the people in downtown Toronto and corporate Canada can too. So I want to commend the OSC for bringing forward their report. This is a serious issue, very important. Obviously uh, represent a number of leaders across the country, large businesses. From the federal government perspective, We've taken leadership too. In fact, in 2012, the Economic Action Plan, the budget that year, announced an advisory committee for women on boards. We're working through that process. We have a number of advisory boards, some of which are here today. And focused on looking at this from a national perspective. But the federal government has also taken leadership in a number of other areas. In fact, amongst our boards, whether that be the judiciary, Crown corporations, deputy ministers, assistant deputy ministers, 31% of them are women. And this is a number that I think we should be quite proud of. But this didn't happen by accident. In fact, in 1990, it was about 10%. It's because my boss, the prime minister, means business. He's being a leader. The deputy clerk of the Privy Council Janice Charette is a woman. The Deputy Minister of Labor, Hélène Gosselin, is a woman. The Minister of Transportation for our country, vitally important to the economy, is a woman, Minister Lisa Wright. The Minister of Public Works and in charge of procurement for the country is a woman, the Honorable Diane Finley. My boss makes sure that we're all accountable for this. It's important. It's about leadership. And as my mom used to say to me all the time, Kelly, you got to lead by example. And that's what he's doing. And so what I would say is that we have a great opportunity here. There are a number of things that we, I think we've all heard about are, that are things that have to be addressed. Challenges that people may not have the right experience. They may not have had the right opportunities. There may be a need for there to be a longer list to pick from. 
There's a number of things that get put up as the challenges, and I, I recognize that. And it's something that our advisory board heard about um, across the country, and what I've heard from roundtable discussions all over the country. And I recognize that. But what the advisory board also heard, and as I say, I've heard from a number of different organizations, a number of people from across the country on a regular basis, is that there are certain things that we can do to fix this. And I would say that my former boss and mentor, Dr. Alan Gross, from my profession, understood that. So what are those things? Well, I've been told, and our advisory board was told, and on our advisory board is a number of prominent Canadians. I think a number of them are here. You can put your hands up. Don't be shy. You know, Alan Horn from Rogers, Pamela Jeffries. I think Catherine Swift is here as well. Alex Johnson from Catalyst. Isabelle Houdon from Sun Life. Monique Lerouge from Desjardins. Linda Hasenfraz from Linamar. It's only a small parts company for our country. These are prominent Canadians that actually know a lot about corporate Canada. What we've heard is that you need a champion. You need someone who says you are the person that they want to have succeed. Need role models, men and women. Need to develop networks. We need to have opportunities for women in finance and operations. We do not need quotas. That's something that shouldn't be considered. And we need to create an opportunity to focus on targets and goals. And most importantly, we need to create that pipeline where there's opportunity for people to move through the process. Now, I think there's a wealth of evidence out there, and I'm sure many people here in the room have heard it, the wealth of evidence for making the case for this for business. So whether that be the Fortune 500 companies between 2004 and 2008 and the increase in ROI between those that have a lot of women on their board versus a few of being 26%, or whether that be an increase in sales, an increase of 16% if you have more women on your board versus fewer. We see the same numbers in the United States. We see the same numbers in Europe. But really what this is about is, do you have everyone you need at your boardroom table? Have you provided the opportunity for everyone to be at the table? And that's good for your business. So I was talking uh, with Bob Pritchard just a couple of days ago. And as you know, he's a former president of the University of Toronto. I'm the U of T alum. And uh, he was also to, he's also the chair of the BMO board. And they have four women on their board. And what he said to me was that one of the most substantive reasons to have multiple women on your board is because it creates a different dynamic. When there's one person of one gender, one group on your board, you look at that person and say they said something sort of goofy. I know I have said goofy things at the table. They say, oh, all women are like that. No one says all men are like that when some goofball whose name is John at the table. They say John was a goofball, right? The other thing that happens is that it provides an opportunity for people to say things about the subject matter that's being spoken about. It doesn't become that you become the advocate for a certain gender at the table. And don't get me wrong, I recognize this dynamic happens on both sides because I've sat in the room where there was one male nurse trying to advocate for certain things. Okay, so this happens in other environments, the total opposite. 
But most importantly, what he said is that it creates a different dynamic of dialogue because it's not about locker room talk. It becomes focused dialogue that is better for the business and better for the discussion. And that's what we need. Because don't get me wrong, I was a chief of pediatric surgery at the age of 34. And I know what happened in the locker room, even though I wasn't there because I had my spies. <laughs> but the same thing happened in the nurse's locker room, right? And so we need to do away with that so that we have a dynamic where the most important things to the firm are discussed at the table in a thoughtful way. And I think that's exceptionally important. The other thing, and this is a bit of a sideline, I'll give an example, uh, I guess sort of a, a bit of an odd entrance into it. How many of you are involved in a hockey draft or have heard about a hockey draft? Right? It's okay, you can put your hands up. You're Canadian and you're allowed to talk about hockey. <laughs> Right? So when you get the hockey draft list, you have a whole list of players, right? Nobody ever rips the list in half and puts half the list on the table and says, I'm only going to consider these 15 guys. Right? Because your other colleagues have the whole list. Why would you ever do that? Because this part of the list you're not considering might have Sidney Crosby on it. Might have Price from the Canadians, who's an amazing goalie, right? And why would you not want to consider them for your draft? We need to consider the whole list because there's value in making sure that you're considering every person who has something to offer because that's how you get the best dialogue at the table and that's how you make the best decisions. So I think that if you are taking away half your list, you're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage. And why would you ever do that? So I encourage everybody today to go home and, talk, and think about the thing I talked about first. Do you have a daughter or granddaughter or a niece? And think about what you can do to move the bar for them or what you think already occurs for your nephew or your son or your grandson and what you could do differently to help move that bar. Because I don't have kids, but I have three nieces, Maley, Collins, Harper. And I hope that they are treated exactly like my nephew Cashton in the workplace when they're all older. Because that's what Canada is about. Canada is about making sure that people who work hard are successful and that merit is the reason that you end up in a role because you're the best person to be in that role. And mark my words, Maley and Harper are just as smart as Cashton. In fact, I'm sure Maley's smarter than them all. But that's what this is about. Why would you ever remove 50% of the list? So I'm here today to ask for your help. As the Minister of Status of Women and the Minister of Labor, I'm going to go out and look at my colleagues in the face and encourage them to do better. We're at 31%, but even we can do better. But I need you to do exactly the same. We need to make sure that we are focused on, ma on making sure that these young women, and particularly young women, have these opportunities. And I challenge you to do the same thing. 
So whether that's doing what I'm going to do, which is helping create that pipeline, and we have the fabulous pipeline in the federal government through Cowan Corporations, giving women opportunities to have operational and financial experience so that they can be considered for other boards, or whether that being a champion for a young woman, or whether that be playing a leadership role. I'm going to do that. But I need you to do exactly the same things. And the reason why is because this is just good for Canada. It's good for our global competitiveness. It makes sense. And overall, it's good for women, it's good for the economy, and it's good for business. And we need all of you, leaders, to do your part, and I know you can. Thank you very much. Please welcome Mr. Stephen Hewitt uh, from TD Bank to say the thanks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I'm proud to represent the mediocre wing of the uh, head table today. <laughs> uh, today's remarks uh, represent an important shift in conversation uh, on gender diversity in the, the corporate uh, work environment. No longer are leaders um, discussing its merits. Uh, today they are determined to make uh, meaningful progress on this front. And in the view of uh, Minister Leach, Canada should be leading from a position of strength. So much of our history and undoubtedly our future has been uh, tied to notions of diversity, not simply our tolerance of differences but our celebration of them. But Minister Leach has rightfully pointed out that in some circles we have some distance to go. An irony given that nine out of ten Canadians now live in a province led by women. Fortunately, though, our guest speaker and the government she represents understands the challenges, recognizes the implications, and are advocating for change. We appreciate uh, Minister Leach's dedication to the cause as it is very much tied to our ongoing success in the modern economy. Minister Leach, thank you for joining us here today. We wish you the very best in advancing this important agenda and we look forward to your next address at our podium. Thank you very much. And Minister, as a token of our appreciation on behalf of the club, we'd like to present you with this book. It's uh, Who Said That? Memorable Notes, Quotes and Anecdotes from 100 Years of the Empire Club. Uh, the minister uh, has uh, advised that she'll be sticking around, uh, so please don't leave. Uh, she'd love to meet each and every one of you. Uh, she's uh, a politician now, as you know. Uh, so, uh, woman or not, uh, she's, uh, she's happy to uh, pump some hands. Um, at your tables, you'll, you'll see that we have a number of up up upcoming events. We have Jim Leach and Jackie McNish on January 24th. Uh, at the Royal York Hotel, and uh, the third installment of our Woman in Power series on January 27th, we have the Deputy Premier of Ontario, uh, the Honourable Deb Matthews, who's also the Minister of Health. 
here in this room at the Arcadian Court. I'd like to thank uh, our sponsors for today, uh, for Bell Canada for sponsoring our student table. I'd like to thank the National Post and uh, Van Valkenburg for providing our AV. This meeting will be carried uh, and aired on Rogers TV, and we are grateful for your ongoing support. We are on Twitter and on Facebook, and membership information to the club is available on our website, which is empireclub.org. Thank you all for coming. We look forward to seeing you again soon. This meeting of the Empire Club of Canada is now adjourned.